Good morning. It's Melinda Treadwell, the president here at Keene State College. Thrilled to be with you for another edition of the Campus Corner here at our student-run radio, WKNH.org, 91.3 FM. In studio with me this morning is Roger Guinevere-Smith. Roger is a writer, actor, and director who is here with us for a residency this week. Uh, His current solo performance, entitled Otto Frank, will be performed on our Redfern stage this Thursday night at 7.30. Also in the studio with me this morning, Shannon Myers, director of the Redfern Center. So good morning, Roger. Good morning, Shannon. It's great to have you here with me. Um, And then running the board this morning will be Mike, a junior here at Keene State College. Mike, thank you so much for being with us here today on the Campus Corner. And so for our listeners, uh, this program is an opportunity for our listeners and our community to understand the various things that are going on around our campus every day. There's always so much. And today, I'm thrilled we get to showcase a guest who's here with us on campus who has a long history, particularly because of your work in the performing arts. And so, Roger, thank you for joining us on campus uh, for the next few days. Thank you so much for having me back, President Treadwell. It's good to be treading well. (laughs) We uh, we are thrilled. I mean, I was looking through your bio a little bit to get ready for this morning, and you have had a prolific career. You have been engaged in various performances, and most recently in your career, you're focusing, it seems, and this is what I wanted to explore a bit, uh, in solo performances, really digging in on some really intense topics. Um, as I look at, at uh, the slate of things that you've gone through, the award-winning performances that you've written and performed, um, what, just to frame us a little bit, what are some of the inspirations that you feel to take you in your work? And then we'll talk a bit with Shannon about the, the days that you'll have with us here and spend the balance of our time really focusing on the Otto Frank performance. But generally. There's this thing um, that they used to call the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> and as a child, I read it for fun. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is what I did uh, when I wasn't trying to be a professional baseball player, which I didn't do. Um, <laughs> but that was kind of my obsession, uh, history, biography, mm. uh, trivia. And I found a way of exploring that juvenile obsession as, as an adult uh, professional. And I feel very blessed to have worked um, with some extraordinary people uh, and certainly amongst those extraordinary uh, people is the woman sitting to my left mm-hmm. who very generously invited me to do a piece on Rodney King. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about what the next move is uh, mm-hmm. imaginatively, and we started talking about Otto Frank. Mm. Uh, of course, everyone knows the name of Anne Frank, but very few people know the name of Otto Frank, who was Anne Frank's father. He was the only survivor of his immediate family from the Holocaust. He lost his wife and his two daughters. And he came back from Auschwitz, uh, where he uh, was interred. And um, he was given a diary that he had given his daughter as a 13th birthday present. It was full, and uh, it was very difficult for him to Mm. get through, understandably. Mm. But he took it upon himself to be the steward of uh, his daughter's legacy and to get that book out in many, many languages Mm. and in many, many uh, forms of media. 
And so now the diary of Anne Frank is uh, second only to the Bible in in uh, nonfiction literature. Mm. Uh, so to explore Otto Frank is a is a great challenge, mm-hmm. and I am so uh, happy to be here uh, to um, explore this uh, very vital and tragically relevant topic uh, with uh, the Keene community. I'm thrilled, Roger, to, to have you to help guide us through the work. Um, the encyclopedic exploration, um, I think one of the things that I'd love to get into this morning also is, is when you were a juvenile, young adult, um, what were the things that helped you stay steady to your passions? Because I'd love for our students to hear what it, what it felt like to be a young artist and and to move through. But before we go there, Shannon, I just wonder if you could help our listeners understand the lineup that we have planned for Roger as he's a guest resident uh, artist here with us for the next few days. Um, what will he be doing today? I know we've talked a little bit. Um, what's on lineup for today? And, and sure. Tonight? And again, we're really excited to have Roger back with us. Um, I actually first worked with Roger at Actors Theater of Louisville mm-hmm. in, I think, 1996 uh, with his uh, Huey P. Newton piece. So um, it's always been great to be able to continue to work with an artist. So uh, Roger and um, his uh, collaborator, sound designer, Mark Anthony Thompson, mm-hmm. landed last night. <laughs> And are jumping in today with uh, getting uh, the piece up on stage and for her rehearsal. And then um, we'll be meeting some students uh, from the Holocaust and Genocide Studies classes mm-hmm. uh, just for a casual conversation at the Zorn at 6.30. If anybody would like to join us, we'll be there upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, tomorrow, um, Roger will be meeting with some theater and, uh, and dance major students Excellent. in a directing class, talking about his process. And, uh, and then we will have the performance Thursday night at 7.30. And then um, we'll be engaging in a larger conversation um, at the Cohen Center at 12.30 uh, because um, I know for a lot of people, sometimes taking in a performance, they need to digest it mm-hmm. and to be able to have kind of a, a, a deeper conversation mm-hmm. uh, about that at the Cohen Center. And then Roger is off to Augusta, Maine. Mm-hmm. For, and for where there is a museum, a Holocaust museum. And There's a Center for Holocaust and Genocide Studies up at, at UMaine Augusta. And again, it was really great to when we started talking about this project in 2016 Mm -hmm. to be able to have some other institutions um, who were very interested in in bringing this project which is brand new Mm. fresh fresh from Seattle it's incredible Uh, Shannon thank you I I know this takes um, tremendous energy to pull together a regional tour and to stage and line up um, the types of conversations you've described. And for our listeners who may not know, Keene State is uh, one of the only institutions in the country that can boast an undergraduate program in Holocaust and Genocide Studies. And so the timeliness and sad relevance of the work that you're doing, Roger, is poignant and very important for our students to explore. And you'll meet some of the most incredible people. I, I know the program and the faculty and staff that are in that program and our students um, I hope you'll feel additional inspiration from them because I know you'll make a difference in, in their process and how they're thinking about the very heavy um, areas of study that they're engaged with. So um, just for a moment before 
we go to break. Um, I'm curious if you could just give me a sense of what it was like as a young guy thinking, boy, I really love writing. I love the encyclopedia. I love knowledge and history. What inspired you to launch into your study? I think it was Occidental College as an undergrad. But Well, the failure of my baseball career. <laughs> uh, Good motivation, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, as an undergraduate at Occidental College, I was an American studies major. Excellent. I did some theater, but not much. Um, did a lot of history, a lot of literature. Um, and then I went to London on a Watson Fellowship hmm. and wound up actually at the end of that fellowship in Penobscot Bay, uh, where all of the Watson Fellows gathered um, sharing what we had done over the previous year. And I had the opportunity to go to London to work at the Cascadi Arts Center, which mm. at that time was the only African-Caribbean cultural arts center uh, in Europe. Okay. And um, that was a seminal year for me. And then I started graduate school at Yale, thinking mm -hmm. that I was going to pursue a PhD in history. And along the way, I auditioned for this thing called the Yale School of Drama on a lark, and I was accepted into a distinguished class, which included John Turturro and Angela Bassett and Charles Dutton. And I have been combining my interests uh, ever since. So my, uh, my word to those undergraduates out there who are seeking a way um, please know that the way is always being sought. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if there is a conclusion, but there is certainly uh, joy and challenge and responsibility along the way. Mm. Well, thank you. I uh, think, Mike, we'll, we'll go to a quick station break, and then when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Roger Guinevere-Smith, Shannon Myers, and uh, we'll go deeper into your current work and, and kind of your hope for, for where you go. So thank you. We're here on WKNH 91.3 FM, the Campus Corner, and we'll be right back. Good morning. It's Melinda Treadwell back on the Campus Corner and in studio with me, Roger Genver-Smith. Roger, please forgive me for my mispronunciation. And Shannon Mares, which I know better. Um, so I apologize to our guests in studio and to all of our listeners um, for uh, bungling the name of our distinguished guest who's with us. So Roger, thank you for being with us again. Um, when Smith we, is easier. Yeah, it is. But you know, it's not accurate. <laughs> So. It is accurate, if you ask my father. <laughs> my mother was a Genver. Genver, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we were before break, we went to this concept of how do it, undergrads, how did you draw your inspiration? How did you seek what, what became your path? Um, could you go a little deeper on times that were challenging, just inspiration, you know, how you stayed with it, what you did? Um, Certainly not being able to, I wanted to play professional basketball. It wasn't an option for a woman in the mid-80s either. So um, it didn't happen. Uh, but I found my way. And do you I've still had, play? I do. Not very well. And Good. our students will tell you that, that that is very true. It's been too long. Um, but I'm curious. My sister plays. She preceded she? the WNBA. Did she? Yeah. Where did she play? She plays. She played recently at the senior games and uh, oh came gosh. home with the uh, a gold medal. Oh, my gosh. Uh, she played as an undergraduate at Stanford. Fabulous. It's incredible. I think athletics are something, there's something unique. People drawn to those. I think it's like the arts. As I think about the performing arts and the discipline and the 
the willingness to stumble and, and keep pushing. Um, yeah. Well, I've been in the arts, and then I've been playing roller derby for... Oh, dear God. <laughs> okay, that's another show. <laughs> we have to pick up the roller derby. For our listeners, I had no idea, so I'm entirely <laughs> shocked about that. Um, but, Roger, I'm curious if you could talk a bit. When you ran into an obstacle, how did you maintain your focus and keep your inspiration to continue writing and to emerge in the various areas that you you have? I think that I have been consistently inspired by those who came before me, by those who created a small home library, which included the Encyclopedia Britannica, which included the narrative of the life of an American slave written by himself, Frederick Douglass's classic 1845 narrative, a slim volume, but a volume which continues to speak to me and to my audiences all over this world as I interpret Frederick Douglass. Mm. And uh, another volume um, which my mom had in our home library called The World's Great Men of Color. And it was there that um, I was exposed to little biographical sketches by J.A. Rogers, who was a self-trained Pullman Porter historian who published um, these two volumes. Mm -hmm. And they kind of stuck with me uh, as a child. And then as an, as an elder professional, mm -hmm. um, I think I've continued to, to draw on these kind of biographical, imaginative um, uh, portfolios. Mm -hmm. And Otto Frank is simply the latest in that exploration of, of history, of biography, yes. uh, conflict, mm -hmm. um, which tragically continues to rear its ugly head. There was a swastika uh, in Cape Cod, yes. I think, just yesterday. Yes. And <clears throat> there was a burning of a book in Georgia uh, just a couple days ago. And these are themes that uh, I feel compelled uh, to pursue, uh, not only in this work as an artist, but uh, in my work as a citizen, yes. which I think should preclude any commitment as an artist. One must first live and work as a viable and hopefully uh, contributory uh, to... Uh, this world in which we live and yes. this country uh, to which we are hopefully uh, committed to bettering uh, yes. day by day, season by season. I think it's, you know, it's inspiring and so daunting when I think about the pressures, right, in the world and the fragility and the darkness that sometimes happens uh, for the human experience. And I wonder, as you explore... Otto Frank, as you prepared and, and perform, what, what do you hope the audience will take away? And what are you expecting the audience as they think of their roles as citizens, as human beings, as, as fellow journeyers in, in this? What do you hope that, that you might inspire them to deeper thought about? I should like that the audience come to the performance and leave the performance with the idea that the past is not past, it's not even the past, mm -hmm. uh, to uh, 
probably misquote William Faulkner. Mm -hmm. But to know that what we typically look on nostalgically continues to reverberate in our present moment so that the audience does not walk out of the theater um, tomorrow night thinking, wasn't it horrible what happened way back mm -hmm. then and what the father and the daughter went through? Um, this is an issue uh, in which we should be engaged in this present American moment. Just 10 years ago at the D.C. Holocaust Museum, um, an elderly white supremacist racist walked in armed and murdered an African-American security guard. The event that was to happen that night at the museum was a play by Janet Langhart Cohen mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. Maine fame mm -hmm. um, who wrote a play imagining a conversation between Anne Frank mm -hmm. and Emmett Till. Mm -hmm. And that premiere was postponed for a couple of days. It was supposed to have happened in commemoration of what would have been Anne Frank's 80th birthday. Yes. Um, we talk about this in the Otto Frank play. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that occurs only in 1942, 43, 44. Mm -hmm. It's something that happens as recently as this year, yes. when a man attempts to spirit his daughter into this country across a river. Retrieve, sir. They both drown. Yes. A father and a daughter. And that image is disseminated all over the world, but it is a true loss. And it is a loss in our time. And only because I'm in the presence of a distinguished president will I quote another president mm -hmm. who said that there's nothing more beautiful than barbed wire when used properly. It is a, um, it's an interesting and really tragic moment in our world, and I think we spend a lot of time on this campus exploring difficult dialogue and how, what, what does it mean to have empathy, right? Part, there's been much published recently about the loss of human empathy, and to your point, um, the image of that father holding his um, daughter um, as a mother of a six and a two and a half year old, um, I was brought to my knees with that image to think that, oh my gosh, the tragedy of hope for something better for your children and then the loss of that. But the, the, there was a percentage of our population that, that didn't react with empathy, uh, reacted in fact with hatred or revulsion or you know, lots of judgment. And I don't understand that part of our human condition. And so I really, I think one of the things that I'm most um, honored that you are here to show us the way through your own um, creative journey with Otto Frank um, is that we must understand that it isn't history and we must understand that if we are to call ourselves to something more it is to regain that sense of empathy and understanding and to seek to understand and know beyond difference rather than to simply assume it isn't in our 
for front. It's in our rearview mirror somehow. And I think that is what the arts helps us do. And so I, I guess the one it's thing... It's also what toxicology helps us do. <laughs> uh, somehow we would hope. Um, but I do think, uh, and that's a reference to the fact that I mentioned to Roger, I'm a toxicologist and not sure how I became a radio talk show host and a president and all this, but um, love what I do. Uh, I'm curious if, Shannon, Roger, you could talk a little bit about how the performing arts help us lay bare some of those deeper issues, what your thoughts are about this, that, that this is... This is an important way that we can explore things that are really hard. And I, I'd love to hear from you why you think that is. The arts can provide um, a safe space for courageous conversations. Um, the, I think that what is wonderful about what the arts can do is to be able to explore um, uh, both joyous and difficult um, topics and what we try to do I think with the Red Fern about is our mission is that it's not just a show it's an experience it's conversations it's engaging both the campus community and our external community mm -hmm. to think about it in a broader way um, and it's what I love about Roger's work is that when um, in exploring these historical characters, but through a modern lens, mm -hmm. um, through what is happening right now, um, so that it doesn't feel, it's like Roger said, I mean, to quote Shakespeare, um, what's past is present. Mm. And that its history is fluid mm. uh, yes. in that way of uh, its then and its now, and um, uh, that's I mean that's that's what has always drawn me mm -hmm. to the arts, um, and either through theater or through dance or through film or through um, music. Um, there's a lot of of ways of experiencing it, mm -hmm. and everybody experiences it, but the other part of it is, is it's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And when you have um, an audience in the room with an, um, artists, it's a moment that um, is not going to be the same as another audience. It's right there where community experiencing the thing you know this event th this 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 journey at the same time and yes. I think that's what's really um, crucial and important about the arts and live performance yeah thank you I agree I think it's part of what it what I experience um, as an audience member is those courageous conversations those difficult either jo tremendously joyful or very difficult um, human explorations is that you're you're a particip a participant but you're not in a dialogue and so we are so driven to engage in the dial in the dialogue of point and counterpoint and we've been driven there to some degree by i think our our media um pace to enter into the performing arts the visual arts um we are giving our time for us to witness to listen and to explore through the art that we are experiencing in a way that that we aren't thinking about engaging in dialogue of the topic and yet we're taking in and i think there's something different about that experience rather than the dialogue that may lay bare 
uh, and make people uh, experience something and learn something in a very different way. It's, it's a beautiful and unique element, I think, of the performing and visual arts from my perspective. But I'm curious, as a, as a director and an actor, do, does that ring true to you? Is there anything in there? Or do you think it's something different? I think that it's necessary. I don't think that it's extracurricular. When we talk about budget cuts, typically in the public school system, the first thing that we talk about cutting are the arts. And I think that you know the experience of exposure as an artist, as an audience member, uh, is something that is crucial to the survival of human civilization. Yes. Um, that we have gathered around the campfire, that we have told stories, and mm -hmm. that we continue to tell stories is an essential part of human nature. Mm -hmm. And when that is censored, when that is threatened, uh, when that is curtailed, uh, we are much poorer mm -hmm. uh, through that, uh, through that uh, deprivation. I think that's true. I think it's one of the things that, um, as the state's public liberal arts college, uh, there was a recent New York Times article where, uh, and, and this is not to say it's one or the other, I think we, we have the privilege of providing both robust professional practice programs and a commitment to um, the liberal arts. And I think it is the liberal arts when the New York Times recently ran a story that the STEM discipline sprint but the English disciplines endure. And so it's this idea that through life, uh, it is that exploration of the human experience through written and spoken word, through our narrative, through our performance that actually helps us to become all that we can be rather than to devolve into things that we shouldn't, we hope. Um, I had a great mentor at Occidental College, mm -hmm. Mary Jane Hewitt, MJ Hewitt, who did her PhD dissertation on Louise Bennett, the um, great uh, literary light of Jamaica, and Zora Neale Hurston, uh, our great literary uh, light from Eatonville, Florida. Mm -hmm. And she said, next week, uh, don't go to the classroom, come to the lounge. Okay, we go to the lounge, and there's MJ sitting up, talking with her very good friend, uh, Maya Angelou. And then Roscoe Lee Brown, a great actor, gets up and does a scene from Derek Walcott's Dream on Monkey Mountain. In the corner, uh, smoking a lot of cigarettes, is a guy by the name of James Baldwin. And they're having a conversation as if they're just sitting up in MJ's living room. And it was then that I realized that there was this thing called a life in the arts. Mm. Because here were some full-grown adults who could have gone any way with their lives but chose to be there in pursuing art. And uh, I became convinced that a life in the arts was worth pursuing. And that's what's brought me to Keene. I cannot thank you enough, and I, I want to end our program on that because I can't think of a better way to close this half hour. I wish we had an entire day. And I look forward to the hours you will have with our faculty, our staff, our students, our community members. So Roger Genvir-Smith, thank you for being with us here at Keene State College. 
I wish you all the best in your days here, and I hope we uh, show you everything that we possibly can and make your visit joyful. And Shannon Maris, thank you so much for everything you do to bring the arts alive at the Redfern. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Campus Corner. We'll hear you and see you next week at 8.30 for another edition on the student-run WKNH.org 91.3 FM. Mike, thank you, and we'll take it out.